0: For the reading of God's Holy Word before the preaching. Let's turn to Colossians 4 as we continue this series in Colossians. Colossians 4, this is a, a shift in the epistle where Paul is um, closing, you could say closing the epistle and giving his farewells, but there's some very beautiful essential doctrine to be found, especially in this first portion of of Colossians 4, starting at verse 1. This is God's holy and infallible word. Verse 1 Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for all of us that God will open to us a door. For the word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. As to my affairs, Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord, will bring you information. For I have sent him uh, to you for this very purpose, that you may know about our circumstances and that that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your number, they will inform you about the whole situation here. Let us pray. We thank you for this blessed and holy word and we pray that you would help us to conform our minds and our hearts according to your word, that we would think your thoughts after you, O God. And Lord, we pray that you would mold us and make us after the image of our blessed Lord Jesus Christ through your holy word. For we ask it in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. A question I'd like to begin by asking is should our Christian religion, our Christian faith be something that's on a horizontal plane or should it be in a vertical plane? You could say the vertical plane is our devotion to God, our prayer to God, our giving praise to God. That's the vertical plane. The horizontal plane is how do we treat and love one another? How do we treat our neighbors? That's the man towards man, women towards women. How do we treat others? Um, it's not... Um, that horizontal plane, I think, is best taught in Galatians 6.10, which is in your outline there. While we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So again, getting back to the question, should our emphasis be in the vertical, in the horizontal, or both? And the answer is, I would say, both. It's, uh, some have actually though have gotten it wrong um, I was looking at if you, if you type in on the internet um, mo- Greek monasteries there are some Greek monasteries that are set up actually in the, the cliff sides of mountains you, the, by the way that's the of the, some of the most beautiful architecture that has ever been built some of the Greek monasteries but some of them the ones in the mountains aren't as attractive but you think how can you as a religious people do anything but the vertical and the only people you really you can serve is your fellow monks, because if you're going to try to serve other people, they have a really hard time getting to you. Um, um, that is a, that's an error, you could say, of um, being overly focused and predominantly the vertical. The other extreme is maybe a Christian organization that only wants to do good to people and only wants to bring uh, food or clothing, or have a, maybe run a soup kitchen of some sort or do whatever, but at the same time, they don't care as much about doctrine. They don't care much about their personal devotion to God. The horizontal has taken the lead or the predominance to the extreme of their personal vertical devotion to God. That's another extreme. Now, to be fair, um, there um, there are some cases of monks who devoted themselves both to God and to the community, um, it's not a bad movie if you want to watch this movie called "Of Gods and Men," and it's about some some um, Roman Catholic and I think it's Trappist Trappist monks uh, in the Middle East. I'm not sure if it was. Well, I'm not. Sure. They were they were in some place where it was a Muslim population, and they actually lost their lives in serving. They had a medical community, uh, medical service clinic to those in the community around them. So you can. Uh, even in that situation, they had a, both the vertical and the horizontal uh, emphasis there. But God wants us to have both. As we look at today's text, um, Paul is writing his epistle while in prison. And uh, he's, I believe he's hopeful to get out, but we don't know. You uh, have to look at other letters regarding that. Um, he came uh, toward the close of this writing of this Epistle. He was writing to a faithful Christian church. Uh, the Colossians were a faithful Christian church with much fruit of God's grace. But the purpose, you could say, for his writing was that he wanted to give them ammunition against the traditions and, and the, um, the false philosophies of the, of the world and against false doctrine because there were some who were being challenged by that in Colossae. Um, as he's preparing to send this letter... Of um, this epistle to the Colossian church. He's finishing up the writing. He's getting ready. He's putting the letter together. He's going to send it by two faithful men, Tychicus and Onesimus. And I am almost 100% certain that when he's sending this epistle, he's also sending another epistle. Because with Onesimus, he's sending an epistle to Philemon, which is the slave master of Onesimus, from, which, um, from whom he, he ran away. So as we get to today's text, the main focus is that God calls you to devote yourself to him in prayer and how you treat others, or as today's text calls, in our conduct, or our walk, our holy walk before the Lord and others. We'll see this in three main points, master and slave relations, Secondly, we'll see that God wants us to devote ourselves to Him in prayer. And thirdly, He wants us to have a heart for outreach. Let's look at this first main point, this master and slave relations. Verse 1, He says, Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you you too have a master in heaven. Now this verse here did not come out of the blue. It has a prior context. Let's look back a little bit at uh, the prior chapter, starting in verse 22. Here's what he, he says to the slaves. He says, Slaves, in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily, as for the Lord, rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve, for he does wrong. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without penalty. I think that's a warning for the following verse. There in verse one of chapter four. Remember, by the way. Um, The chapter divisions are not ordained by God. So when you read your Bibles, there's not a chapter 4 when Paul originally wrote this. Um, I really think verse 1 really flows with the end of the chapter, the prior chapter. And if I would preach this again, I'd probably preach verse 1 with um, the end of chapter 3. Um, I heard a theologian one time say sometimes maybe that whoever was transcribing or coming up with the chapter divisions maybe stepped in a ditch when he was writing and his, his donkey stepped in a ditch or something. And that's why, he, anyway. But um, that's on a, the a side point. Again, it's not ordained, that the chapter divisions. Not ordained by God. So this relationship here uh, talks about in the end of chapter 3, it says that slaves have a duty to serve their masters, are, it says, serve the Lord Christ by serving their masters. And in the way that they serve their masters, they're serving Jesus. Now, there are some, and even in America, who have made an absolute statement that all forms of slavery are wicked sin. Now, I think it's going to be hard to come to a case of that in Holy Scripture if you're looking at both this Epistle and you're also looking at the Epistle to Philemon because it seems as though uh, well not that it doesn't seem it is it is that these scriptures make an allowance for it and that's based upon uh, something that we find in Leviticus 25 where it talks about slavery being allowed in certain conditions um, let's let's turn to Leviticus uh, 25. We'll get back to looking at that verse concerning Philemon. Keep your place in Colossians if you can. Leviticus 25, starting at verse 39. If a a countryman of yours, you could say a Jewish brother, if a countryman of yours becomes so poor with regard to you that he sells himself to you, that you uh, shall not subject him to a slave service. He shall be with you as a hard man, as if he were a sojourner. He shall serve with you until the year of Jubilee. He shall then go out from you, he and his sons with him, and shall go back to his family, that he may return uh, to the property of his forefathers." for they are my servants whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. They are not to be sold in a slave sale. And here's the key verse, verse 43. You shall not rule over him with severity, but you are to revere your God. Now, this past, this chapter here in Leviticus 25 is talking about a day of jubilee. Um, and... I gave you a source here. It's from uh, the Lexham Bible Dictionary. It says the year of Jubilee is the Sabbath rest at the end of seven sabbatical annual cycles, which was every 49 or 50 years, according to Leviticus 25. During this year, this year of Jubilee, economic debts were to be forgiven, land restored to families who were sold in order to repay debt, and slaves sold to repay debt, were to be liberated. Now, in the case of someone owing enough money where he could, he could pay out his service in less than 49 or 50 years, he might have to only serve 20 years, and when he's done, he's done. He didn't have to be a slave for the whole 49, 50 years. But getting back to Colossians, getting back to Colossians, we notice that verse 1 Paul seems to allow that a person could be in a decent standing, uh, being a master in the church. And the case is with Philemon, Philemon was not only a master of slaves, but he actually had, um, he actually was called a beloved brother by Paul in Philemon, verses 1 and 2. And even more so, the church met in the man's house. The church was allowed to meet in this man's house. I do think that some of the principles following Leviticus 25 and some of this, what we have in Scripture, should be applied in society today. If you have a person who doesn't pay a debt, and you, you could actually say it actually is applied in some realm, right? Um, the person who is in debt is slave to the, to the lender. And oftentimes, even in America, a person who doesn't pay a debt of what is owed, say, for instance, in child support or some other thing like that, They could end up in prison. Not only end up in prison, but they could be required to labor for the prison system until, you could say, their debt is paid. Um, It kind of almost goes back to the the Puritan, or I guess the English practice of the debtor's prison. And uh, we even have in Louisiana a prison industry program. I think that's better than just having them sit down in, in jail, but they're actually doing industry learning skills and paying back a debt that's owed. So, for those who would say that there is no such thing as slavery, I mean, there are these things that go on still in in society today. But getting back to verse 1, verse 1 says, Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. I think the focus for us is that every person who has authority, whether you're a parent, whether you're a boss or a business owner, uh, whether you're a teacher, um, whether you're a secular government leader or a church leader, every person who has authority is not to lord it over those who are under their care. Why? Because each of you have a master in heaven that you have to answer to. Verse 9, Paul described Onesimus then as a faithful and beloved brother he calls him one of your number. He was actually a member, even as a slave, he was a member of the church there in Colossae. In Philemon, in Philemon, this is in your outline, in Philemon verse 16, he wrote to Onesimus the same thing he says here. No longer Onesimus is no longer a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother especially to me, but how much more to you both in the flesh and in the Lord. I believe the proper interpretation of this text is that when Paul writes this in verse 1, masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness because you have a master in heaven. I think he's really kind of touching upon Philemon and that maybe Onesimus became a Christian after his departure. or Well, I guess he was all, he was a member of that church, so he really was a Christian even before the departure. But the principle that is driving home here is that of Leviticus 25, 43. He's telling Philemon, you could say, and masters like him, you shall not rule over him, your brother in the Lord, with severity, but you are to revere your God. It was not something that was allowable, that a fellow believer in the triune God should be Having a slave for perpetual a perpetual nature, and even selling them and selling his children and family of that of that sort, I, I do think that that was one of the the sins of the South that they totally disregarded this this issue of this notion of ruling over brethren in a way that was with vigor um, lastly also I think it was a it was a crime committed it was a crime that was punishable by death to be a man stealer um, it, it probably would have been a worthwhile venture, both for the West and many others, to, uh, to those who did, who'd had ships for slave trading to be burned, to, to be burned and uh, to put those men to death. Anyway, um, going to our second point, devote yourselves to God in prayer. Verse 2, he says, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. The Greek word here for keeping alert could be translated as keeping awake or being watchful. I don't know if you're aware of this, but the world, the flesh, and the devil are adamantly against your prayer life. The world and the flesh and the devil fight against you to pray. You want to pray and you got these distractions. You want to pray and then this, this sudden strange thought comes in your mind. Where did that come from? Um... God says for us to be watchful when we pray. Um, Do your best to find a quiet place without distraction, but also pray to God that he would keep your mind attentive and free of distraction and he would not let the world, the flesh, and the devil come in and, and, and to thwart your prayer life. To know the tactics of the enemy is one of the best resources in your combat to be able to be victorious in prayer. The main motivation to pray, according to this text, is with an attitude of thanksgiving. Prayer is not just asking God for stuff. If you haven't heard this before, a great acronym for prayer is A C T S Adoration, Thanksgiving. A C T is, th- I'm sorry, A Adoration, C Confession, T Thanksgiving. S. Supplication what happens is when we pray sometimes it's all supplication 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 well how about adoring God confess your sin give him thanksgiving but another thing is that it could be that maybe the reason why we don't pray as we ought or don't have the motivation to pray as we ought is because we're not thankful enough if we're truly thankful to what to what God has done, if we're truly thankful for what God has done in Christ, we will be a more prayerful people. If God has given us His Son, how, why, how come? Why would we not be more thankful to pray? You can think of someone giving you an entire house. I gave you an entire house, and it's all paid off. So that you and your family could live and you don't, have a, you, don't have any, you don't have a mortgage or you don't have rent. Wouldn't you thank that person? God has given us something far greater than a, than a worldly home. He's given us a home in heaven. Jesus Christ has not only paid for our sin and given us his righteousness. He's assured us that we have a place in heaven in glory. And he has gone to prepare a place for us far better than any physical home that we could ever have. Paul gives some practical matters of ministry needs in prayer in verses 3 and 4. Let's turn there again in chapter 4. Verses 3 and 4, he says that he tells these, uh, he told the Colossians that they ought to be praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open to us a door for the word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Paul asked God for an open door in his ministry for an open door for the word. He asked them to pray for him to have an open door for the word. Um that could be synonymous with a open heart. Uh, Some don't want to hear the word. You might talk to them about it. And you're like, "Uh, I don't want anything of that. But we have to pray to God that he would give an open door for us to tell others the truth of the word. And I believe when Paul was, some would say that he was chained beside a a Roman uh, prisoner. He was chained to them at times. When he was chained to a a Roman guard, I mean, um, when he was chained to this Roman guard, he would try to talk to him about Jesus, and sometimes the guard would probably say, I don't want to hear anything more about that, Paul. And that was a closed door. Now, it does not do us well if there's a closed door for us to say, you're going to hear me anyway, and you need to listen to what I have to say. That's trying to push the door open. We have to pray and see when someone is ready, when they maybe, perhaps, uh, and and. and the, a time when there's an open door, maybe someone has a spark of interest. Maybe God has allowed it to place it on his heart to ask some questions or to respond to what you have to say. Sometimes an open door requires others learning to trust us first. Um, ministries, diaconal ministries and other ministries, we're serving in the community, people can learn to trust us when we help them in a crisis, perhaps, and by that we might obtain an open door. Now, I would appreciate that you would pray for me in accordance with what follows here in verse four. Paul said he he prayed in verse four, "Pray that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak." That's a great prayer for those who teach. Not only for the elders, but especially for those who preach the word. Um, sometimes I'm good at dishing out the information. I think God has allowed me to, to be faithful with the doctrine, but sometimes I need, to be a little, I need to be a lot more winsome. I need to be a lot more persuasive. And that's where I need your prayers. Pray to God that he will give me a clear way, a winsome way in how I ought to speak. And that's a great prayer, not only for me, but for any minister. I believe these and the other saints did that for Paul. They prayed for Paul. They prayed for open doors. They prayed for Paul's ministry. The result of the prayers of not only the Colossians, but many others who were praying for Paul, is that Paul wrote many prison epistles that later became canonized as Holy Scripture. Not only that, we find out in Philippians 1... Uh, we're not going to actually turn there. But in Philippians 1, uh, 12, the whole Praetorian guard came to hear of his case for Christ. God answered their prayers. He gave open doors to Paul to minister. That even the predominance of the Praetorian guard came. And that one of the results is that both um, in Philippians one fourteen and here, we have people being more bold to share with others the case of what Christ has done. It's not just for apostles. It's not just for ministers. It's not just for elders or deacons. It's the case for every Christian that you are called to be a witness for Christ. And that leads us to the next third point. Have a heart for outreach. If you are a Christian, God calls you to have a heart for outreach. So you you revisit this uh, Colossians 4.13 I think we need to pray for each other, that doors would be open, that each and every one of us, not just me, but each and every one of us would be able to speak forth the mystery of Christ to our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, fellow students, our patients, and even to total strangers. Verse 14 says that we ought to pray um, to make it clear and the way that we ought to speak. That's not just for Paul, but that should be for each and every one of us. Now, all this is not going to be fruitful. All this is not going to be fruitful at all unless there's first a desire. You're not going to want to speak to others about Christ, and you're not going to want to tell others unless you first have a heart for the lost. And maybe that's the first thing to do, is to pray um, that we have a heart for the lost. Because hell is really a true place. It's a true place of eternal torment, of unrelenting pain and torment, day and night, without rest. And, what the scripture says about Jesus being the way of escape, the only way of escape from that horrible place. We have, each of us, who have been in this church, especially for some time, we have enough knowledge to be able to share what Christ has done so that people would hear the gospel and be spared of that wrath to come. So pray first for a heart for outreach. God calls you, it says here, to have a wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Um, And it also says conducting yourselves with wisdom toward those who are on the outside. That's those who are outside Of the church. Um, I guess you could say the first piece of wisdom, uh, according to this verse, is that we have to actually have wisdom to understand that there is an opportunity out there. When we meet people, there's an opportunity to share the truth of the Holy Gospel. And sometimes, maybe it might take years, might take a while, a friend, or I mean, a, a total stranger can become an acquaintance. And then later on, this acquaintance can become a friend. And then maybe later on, by God's grace, such a friend can become a Christian brother or a sister. But again, it takes wisdom. Pray for wisdom when there's an open door. And also pray for the Holy Spirit to open people's hearts to give you that open heart that's willing to receive and hear and to listen and believe. So regarding this, again regarding God saying to us to have wisdom toward outsiders making the most of the time proverbs 11:30b there written in your outline says he who wins souls is wise wisdom and outreach means that you are wise because he who wins souls uh, is wise it's wise to realize that there are eternal consequences and that the kingdom workers should be a priority Yes, you want to talk about the weather. You want to talk about national events. You want to talk about work. You want to talk about hobbies, leisure. But, you know, ask God for wisdom when there's an open door to talk about Christ as well. And that's the primary way that you can make most of that opportunity. Verse 6 gives a call for wisdom and discretion, how we ought to speak. Verse 6, let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Let your speech always be with grace. Gracious speech is not vindictive. It's not insulting. It's not sarcastic. And it's definitely one that will um, be that way, even if others ridicule you. When others ridicule you, you still don't revile in return. Um, I love this passage in, uh, in 1 Peter 2. Uh, 23, Jesus is our example here. While being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but he kept trusting himself to him, the Father, who judges righteously. That's what, you could say God has been gracious to us, so we ought to be gracious in how we speak to others as well. When some think of speech as seasoned with salt, salt is uh, kind of a corrosive thing. It causes rust. Um, salt in a wound can be very painful. We think of salt in a negative fashion, but salt in, is in the way that is used in Scripture is that salt of the earth, as Jesus calls us to be, Matthew five thirteen. salt of the earth is something that is a preservative. You use it to preserve meat, to keep it from spoiling. Salt is also an absolute essential nutrient. Case, I don't know if you are everyone's aware of this, but when Marianne uh, had her chemotherapy, she... Her salt dropped to a a very, extremely low level and she had seizures and almost died from swelling on the brain. Lack of salt is a bad thing. So we need seasoning with salt in our speech. Wisdom in what to say in in our conversation. Knowing how that we can change, um, how God can influence, use our influence by the Holy Spirit to change lives and to change hearts and to change eternal destinies. In summary, God calls you again to devote yourselves to Him in prayer and how you treat others. We see this in in this master-slave relationship. Again, we don't have that sort of relationship in the United States anymore in the same fashion. But you who are parents and bosses, secular or church leaders, don't lord yourself over others. Remember, you have a master in heaven. Devote yourself to God in prayer. Devote yourself... With a watchfulness, being aware that you have to fight against the world and the flesh and the devil in your prayer life, but also devote yourself to prayer with thanksgiving. A heart of thanksgiving will motivate you to a greater prayer life. And lastly, today's text calls you, requires you, commands you to have a heart for the lost. Pray for enlightenment by the Holy Spirit, that He would give you the words to say, that He would give others an open heart, and they would give you that open door to speak. He who wins souls is wise, that he would give you wisdom toward outsiders to make most of the opportunity, that he would give you that speech that's seasoned with salt that is gracious and loving. God is gracious to us so that we ought to be gracious in how we treat others as well. Let's uh, pray together. We do thank you, our beloved Lord, for this, your holy word, and we, we ask that you would help us to remember the things that we have studied. We pray that you would help us to remember that you are the Lord of all, and that uh, those of us who have positions of authority, that we are not to lord it over others. Help us to remember, O oh Father, that to be watchful in prayer, but to be thankful to you, the God of all glory who has given us the greatest gift imaginable. Help us, we pray, to be gracious in how we talk to others. Help us, we pray, to have our speech seasoned with salt and that we make use of the opportunities given unto us to speak the truth unto others. Help us, we pray, to have that Holy Spirit gift of boldness and that wisdom when to speak and how to speak. We thank you, for your beloved Son, Jesus Christ. And we pray that you would write these things in our heart. For we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. For our closing hymn, we'll turn to 409, our hymn of dedication. Let's stand and sing, Blessed be the tie that binds. Let's stand and sing.